We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Samus Fandiari here from the Blue Wire Studios in the win, and I have longtime Warriors veteran reporter. What do I call you now, Ethan? Just a substacker. Just a substacker. That's it. And then if somebody asks a follow-up question um, about what that means, we're in trouble. But that's what I am. It's been funny observing you around Summer League because you're you're no longer covering the NBA, Mm -hmm. but I also see you introducing yourself and just basically knowing everyone everywhere you go. Well, that's the magic of Summer League. It's it's a, a very social place, and there's a lot of checking in with people in an environment where uh, people have their guard down. They're wearing shorts. You can't, you can't be too mean to the media when you're wearing shorts. That's my theory anyway. And so I came here in part to hang out with all of you guys, but also to just check in, talk to some industry people. And I am not going to the game. I'm, I'm refusing to go to the games. Um, maybe that's bad on me. I don't know what, but yeah, I'm avoiding the gym, Sam. You know, you're not going to go for James Wiseman's debut. I can Come watch on. it. I can watch it on TV. Um, <laughs> I'm down to watch that on TV. I like when somebody has when they show out, and it, you know, I'm curious about Chet Holmgren and everything else, and that's cool. But I, I would be lying to myself. Uh, I would be presenting myself, Sam, as NBA media if I showed up to that gym with a credential. Um, and I don't, I don't know. It just feels like it's, it's the wrong thing to do. The right thing to do is to be in the studio, um, giving progressively more insane takes. That's, that's what I, that's what I feel. All right. If we're going to start with the takes, let's, let's start with the biggest take of them all. James Wiseman. Mm. Where are you at with him? I'm not as negative as you are. (laughs) I have no reason for any, look, I, I can't claim any knowledge. I, I, I don't know. I just, there's still hope. I still carry some hope for Wiseman, despite all the disappointments, despite how, yeah, you'd probably want to, I don't know, redo that pick if you could today. Um, but I'm not, I'm not all the way out. I'm not all the way out, you know? Like, give me a... I think painting me as negative is unfair. Mm. I don't think that there's a pathway to him being a very productive, good player. I just, the star upside is the part I don't see. You know, like usually those guys pop at a younger age and it's very obvious. Yeah. I didn't see that in year one from him. I think he can be a starting center who's very good for the Warriors. But like the way that and and really it's just Joe Lacob who's just the consummate salesman. Yeah. The way he talks about him 
as and he just did another interview where it's like, yeah, it's great we won the title, but you guys ready for Wiseman? Mm. You know, like that sort of thing. That, I think that's what elicits the reaction out of me more than anything because I don't like being upsold. Well, the thing with Joe Lacob is that he is big on speak it into existence. He loves to wake up, watch first take, and pound his chest. <laughs> and Stephen A. Smith is his guy. He loves Stephen A. Smith. And there's a bit of this philosophy where it's that VC culture of do your homework, analyze the data, think carefully, but also be delusional in what you believe you can accomplish and somehow it will manifest. It's almost a spiritual belief. I kind of respect it. I kind of feel like you need a little bit of it to do anything big, but sometimes it leads to, uh, you know, an Alan Smilik each situation or something that just doesn't, just doesn't work, you know? And I, I think I would be more out. I don't know why my voice just cracked, but I think I would be more out on Wiseman if not for the Jordan Poole experience, because he was horrible in that first season. Um, and I know, I know that you can't rely on this and say this will happen all the time, but to see his turnaround makes me go, I don't know, maybe they send Wiseman down, they find a G League coach who knows what to emphasize, which is what happened with Jordan Poole. And it all uh, clicks. And it all clicks. You know, from what I heard, Jordan Poole, uh, the coaches down there in Santa Cruz, coached him hard. He wasn't getting that kind of criticism. And different players need different sorts of uh, feedback, apparently. Some need to be a little coddled. Uh, some need a little bit of what Jordan Poole got, which is to be sat down in front of the film and nearly yelled at that this is a stupid shot. Can I curse, by the way? What's, yeah. What's, what's, yeah. This is a stupid shot. What the fuck are you doing? And Poole responded well to it. And I think he even thanked the coaches. He said, thank you. You know, thank you for giving me that. It seemed to reroute him. And so there could be something like that in Wiseman's future. I don't want to... I don't want to write it off, but it is worrisome when you're hearing an absence of what you heard about with Jordan Poole, which is, oh my God, this guy is just an incredible worker. Um, I thought Chris DeMarco was crazy, the Warriors assistant coach, and he was touting Jordan Poole in that first season, but he was responding to some of the qualities that Poole had that led to him showing all-star talent. I'm not, as, I'm not around the team as much. You know, Maybe we could ask right. Slater, but I, I haven't been hearing a lot of that with Wiseman. Well, he's just been injured. That's the other part of it, which complicates the whole thing, right? Yeah. Like they, so his rookie year was kind of a shit show. Like that, that whole 2021 year was a shit show for the team. Um, then they changed like half the coaching and development staff, but he's injured the whole time. And he has, I mean, this has to be the longest meniscus injury I've ever seen. Yeah. And so it's like, there's that level of it into it too, where it's like, am I just, am I projecting what I saw 15 months ago onto the injury when really it's just a series of unfortunate events and he should just be viewed kind of as a rookie coming into it this year again. What's so difficult too is that seven footers are so valuable right. in, in basketball, but on average, they don't care as much as the other players do. And everybody in the NBA knows this. They talk about it kind of carefully, but it just makes sense intuitively that if you're a 6'2 guy in the NBA, you love basketball. I mean, you had to develop so much of your skill set to get here. You love basketball. But a lot of seven-footers, they were kind of, it's more like basketball chose them and not in that, um, not in that cool sense, in that uncool sense of you're tall. So therefore, yeah. you can either make millions of dollars doing this or you can, I don't know, try to become a doctor and work really hard doing that. And so they just have a different level of care. And nobody really knows how to think about that or what to do about that or how good somebody is. You're watching with Aiton right now. 
The Suns hate him. They hate him. Maybe I can say this because it doesn't it doesn't matter. I don't have to answer for anything. I feel like enough it's people know It's also not even like a secret at this point. Yeah, like a year ago, this might have been a secret. They, they should have kept it a secret so they could have some trade value for him maybe down the road. But they hate him so much that they couldn't even... They couldn't even just keep it under wraps how much they hate him after a se- after you know a few seasons where you could statistically he, he present- broke Monty Williams. Monty Williams, yeah. who projects as like the most like earnest, like see the good in people guys. Like, yeah, I can't anymore. Yeah, yeah, they they absolutely dislike his approach to the game, and I don't know if they're thinking about it wrong. They could be right, but part of me goes, well, this is. You know, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Uh, this is what a seven-footer who is perhaps productive for you long-term, this is their attitude, and they're not locked in, and they're just not going to be that. And a guy like that, when you have that, you've got Giannis or you've got Embiid, and there just are only so many of those guys who are that tall. Yeah, maybe maybe like Evan Mobley or some yeah. of those guys like project to to be like that. But, no, that's interesting because when you think about big men, it's like it is really kind of the shittiest job. You do all the dirty yeah. work that is imperative to winning, but then you rarely get the credit. Like the most obvious example, of this is Utah with Rudy Gobert. Like <laughs> it, it, I, it's very obvious. Like him and Mitchell were not on the same page there, and it's yeah. like just from a basketball standpoint, it's pretty obvious which one of those two players provides more value to winning. But he never got all the all the attention goes yeah. on the flashy guard who occasionally goes for fifty. You're the offensive lineman, yeah, of exactly. Basketball, basically, and um, I think I was asking Bogut about this. I think I asked him directly of big men, care less, and he was talking about how it does kind of suck. You know, you do get physically abused in a way that the other guys don't, and in ways that nobody else is really noticing. And not everybody wants to put up with it. And um, I think a guy like Wiseman. And Boga was talking about it. He he wants to score. He wants to he wants the attention. He wants to do the things that make you famous and maybe not necessarily and the, the more fun parts of basketball the too. More, the more fun parts of basketball. And yeah, so I'm I'm really curious. Everybody says this. You know what the most popular phrase in a podcast is? It's a, I'm curious to see. I'm curious <laughs> to see what happens with James Wiseman. It's a way to not really have a take and to transition to some other sort of topic is. I'm curious to see what happens there. An elite hedge term. Yeah. Mm, yes, yes. I mean, we have so much more hedging these days. I mean, you don't want to get aggregated. You don't want to give a strong take and have it used against you. So I've been hedging like crazy. I want to be honest, but this has been, you know, this, is, this has been a hedge maze over here. I, I'm going, all I'm doing is I'm doing the, uh, the price is right thing where I'm just trying to get my take on Wiseman a little more positive than Sam in case Wiseman pops. But not so, you know, not so positive that's used against me later. And I think I've achieved that mission. <laughs> the big man thing has me thinking. So, like, the two big men who have been successful for the Warriors since Bogut were both small forwards mm. when they came up. And I'm talking about Draymond, who's obviously like just like an outlier yeah. in many different ways. But Looney as well. Looney was, he was a wing it's like he, he was supposed to be that guy. Then, you know, injuries happen. He kind of reconverts himself to a center. I almost wonder if because they weren't like brought up the way seven footers are that mm. maybe they're more successful at it. Perhaps. I mean, Looney, you wouldn't have thought would turn into anything in that first. Year right. Where he was injured. I remember he showed up late to practice because it's not like he was he was doing anything at practice. And Draymond took him aside and yelled at him. 
um, and said, you have to get here. You have to get here on time. You know, you're part of the team. But he, he, he was hurt. He was out of shape, uh, you know, out of shape in connection to being hurt. I remember the assistant coaches would joke, would joke and they would say that he looked like a retired player because he was popping out of his suit, which usually happens to these guys after they, uh, after they <laughs> hang it up because they've been doing all this cardio as part of the, part of the job and they're not prepared for what's about to happen. Um, and so he was just popping out of his suit at 19 years old or what have you. And, um, you wouldn't have known, but he's such a smart player. He's got such a great work ethic and he's got this inherent humility of just doing his job and not wanting much more. I, I love that guy, by the way, by the way, it's cool to see him become like cult favorite among the fan base because he is easily the most boring player in the NBA. Like there's yeah. nothing flashy or anything about him, but just. You, you see it when you go to games like they they just adore him because yeah. there's like a recognition that he's like the ultimate like hard hat lunch pail guy. Right. Well, a lot of what I say to people about the NBA is that what meets the eye isn't what it really is. But in the case of Looney, I think it just comes through. He's very nice and he's very likable and he's very diligent. All of that comes through and it's turned him into a cult sensation, despite what you're saying about him having a boring game. But to be at Chase, I was only at Chase two times, but the idea that they're doing that that loon that sounds yeah. like a boo, that's one of my favorite things that fans do is where they chant a name that sounds like a boo, but it's actually a cheer. To hear people doing that for Looney is just so nice to see because I do think uh, he's just a positive, he's a positive presence. And um, that's been... That's been one of the cooler things to see since I uh, hung it up as a crotchety beat writer slash NBA reporter slash whatever. I, I feel like that's also only the sort of thing you see with teams who have kind of a long period of continuity. Yeah. Like a loony can't exist on a like LeBron team where like no player stays there for more than two years. Like everyone's just being shuffled in and out. But when you have a team like and, and the Warriors, yeah, they their main guys have been there over a decade. You start developing like connection and personality among like the fringe yeah. players, which he he's a role player, right? Like he's on the yeah. periphery. He's not, you know, selling tickets, although he might now, to be honest. Yeah. But like that sort of stuff. He's um, you know, you you start seeing those connections get developed for players who typically would get no attention. Yeah. Um, and that's why continuity is good. That's why I think I did a study of the local viewership ratings for all the teams about a year ago and it was remarkable how much the top was dominated by local markets whose team had stayed together and whose stars were drafted and that all makes a lot of sense but somehow i think things got a little screwy and we started lecturing fans on how they shouldn't care or that's not something they should care about i love so much of what draymond has done with his podcast but you always got to lead it up with the but i'm doing the uh the, the Stephen A. Smith uh, wind up to the criticism, but he was saying that fans have to realize that, that Kevin Durant is making a business decision. And when are fans going to realize that it's a business? And well, sports is a funny thing because it's a business that can only function if people believe it's more than a business, that they have some sort of attachment that is emotional and you build that attachment over years. And so, yeah, I mean, if a guy wants to go to different teams and he wants to go to different teams, but the consequence is what we're seeing, which is that, Kevin Durant is kind of a you man don't get without, an emotional you don't get emotional investment. No, you don't get emotional investment. You know, it's 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 reciprocal. You know, if you're loyal to me, I'm loyal to you. Um, and I think that we've been cynical about how fans are saying that, oh, fans just hate you. 
the second you play bad and everything else. But no, is I think there's a, reci- a reciprocated loyalty often, and you don't have to buy into it. Um, but if you don't buy into it, you're not going to get the rewards that come with it. Wiggins, perfect example for the Warriors. Ton of skepticism because, I mean, we all saw him in Minnesota, yeah. right? And after this finals, like, he just adored. And, like, I can see it with, like, the Lightyears listeners, like, ones who are skeptical of him all season because, like, I don't know. Is he going to show up in the playoffs? Don't really have any evidence that says he's going to be that kind of guy. You know, like, you just go on his tracker. He doesn't seem like a guy who's going to be good in those, like, tight physical games, right? Yep. And it's a complete opposite. And, I mean, he's, he's got to be kind of at their top of list of players they need to retain. Like, it went from, all right, well, his contract's going to run out and, you know, hopefully Kuminga's ready to start by then, right? To now it's like, no, they, they need to prioritize keeping him mm. maybe even over some players who've been here longer than him. Uh, and, and those are the sort of things, like, I, I just don't know if that happens in team settings that, aren't, that don't have as much continuity. Yeah, that don't have as many people who are saying this is how you have to do it. I know veterans were really banging that drum about how there was an absence of veterans in the NBA. Right. And there, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that we don't see that informs how winning happens. Right. Um, I'm convinced of that. I mean, we, I think we overrate what we see uh, because how could we not, right? Um, you're watching the TV show, the final product, but you're not really aware. If we are doing the TV show uh, analogy, you're not really seeing what's going on in the writer's room, what's going on in the making of everything. And we don't see the value of, I, I don't know how valuable Andre Godala was to the Warriors last season. I certainly could not quantify a lot of value on the basis of statistics and basketball production. But if you said to me, yeah, he's actually like 15% of why they won the championship. I couldn't disprove it because he's such an active coach and he's such a smart guy and he's constantly telling guys where they need to be and what they need to do. And he has the standing to do it and they're going to listen to him. I mean, to go on a tangent, watching him do what he did during the the um, dynasty run, the earlier one, right. it was fascinating. It was just fascinating. And I, I only saw a little iota of it because I would just be in the locker room after games. Um, I, I wasn't seeing a lot of what was happening behind scenes. But I'm not aware of many players who took on that specific role that Andre took on, where he was supposed to be a starter, but then they wanted Harrison Barnes to be a starter. And so they brought Andre off the bench, as everybody knows. But what was so interesting to me is that he took on this role of being the coach of the bench, the player coach of the bench. That's what, that's what his job was. So I would be in the locker room after a game, and he's just talking to all the other bench players. And sometimes he would be, it would be a little like whiplash, where there would be a sharp edge to what he was saying or what he was doing. He'd be looking at the score sheet, and he'd be going, nine shots in... You know, nine shots in 19 minutes. Ooh, I'd like to take nine shots in 19 minutes sometime. <laughs> and I, I'd, I'd see, uh, I'd see Ian Clark laughing nervously, and I'd go, "Oh yeah, that was Ian who took nine shots in 19 minutes." That's uh, a <laughs> he's he's taking a jab at Ian in his subtle kind of way because he's got that he's got that smart mean thing going that we see in the coaches that are are so successful. Uh, Greg Popovich, smart mean in that Logan Roy type of way. Um, well, I, and you have yeah. to be able to back it. Like a lot of people try to do that, but they don't have the, um, it, it just doesn't project correctly. You know, yeah. like he, he gives you the look, you're like, mm, okay. yeah, yeah. I should probably listen here. Uh, that brings up an interesting point on him. I actually thought this was one of the best calls we got on like our Spotify show last week. Someone brought up like 
what if bringing Andre back is just an investment in Kuminga and Moody? Mm. Like just literally having him on the roster gives them like a 15, 20% better chance at having success this year. Again, it, from all outside perspective, it looks like he was on them yeah. all season yeah. uh, in a way that's probably productive. Because like, I, I think Kuminga is the most talented of their young players, but you can definitely see there's a, there's some immaturity there. There's some, you know, I have a big dunk and I've made it instead of like sticking to the script type of thing going on yeah. with him. Well, it's, sorry to cut you off. I didn't mean to, but I, I'm getting an ego now because I'm in the studio and there are lights on me. So um, I needed to hear the sound of my own voice. Um, I wonder how much he informed the flourishing of these other careers we've seen with the Warriors. He was on clay like that. You know, maybe clay becomes who he became without Andre's presence, but, but I don't know. So I think um, it might be a good investment. And you can continue, Sam. I apologize for interrupting you. No, that's fine. I mean, all, <laughs> this, all this comes back to, I guess, the, the, the things like culture and continuity actually do matter a little yeah. bit. So yeah. maybe, maybe she'll give you a little more credit there. All the corny qualities matter. The Deadspin people had a point about how we would uh, perhaps say that victory is indicative of character in the aftermath of, of a championship or whatever, and that was bullshit, and that wasn't totally correct. But then you overcorrect, and you go, none of it matters. It's all talent. That's not true. I mean, these qualities of people buying in collectively and sacrificing for one another uh, do that does win championships, that does achieve victory. It doesn't mean that the people who did it are great people overall, but there are these selfless qualities that help an organization succeed in combination with some of those ego-driven qualities. And uh, there's just this balance and this mix that needs to be achieved for it to really happen and for success to endure. And that's something that is that has happened. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You, our friends are here. Should I was, be, I was literally yeah. about to say, yeah. yeah, yeah you don't yeah. want to get into the dead spin kind of nihilism thing too much because then you end up like the Lakers, which is a perfect introduction <laughs> to get Domin on with us right now. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Hey, hey. Scale of one to ten, was that the most miserable season of Laker basketball you've ever seen? Uh yeah. No, no, no. It's listen, we've had teams who've won like 17 games. We've had the Kobe year where 
Um, it was his last season and most of the games he was just shooting, you know, and, and it was just the team was going nowhere. But we all came into those seasons expecting those things. So you just kind of accept it for what it is. Like, all right, we'll develop these young guys. We'll do this. We'll do that. This season, there was real expectations. Um, there was the just the fact that you couldn't have honest conversations about the team because, A, you have Laker stands, right? Yeah. Which we are all familiar with. You have LeBron stands. Now you add Russell Westbrook stands. <laughs> and all of this is to say that I couldn't say, hey, this Russell Westbrook thing isn't really working out. Because you'd have Laker fans saying, why are you being a hater? Give it time. You'd have the LeBron. You're also leaving out the fact that Russ is an L.A. kid. So there's like yeah. a certain level of like, I don't want to admit he's not good because we always cheered for him. I mean, there's a reason why I, I, I still admire so much of what, what Russell Westbrook is. But and, and I went to UCLA, too. I rooted for him. The one thing I always said about him was, though, listen, I like Russell Westbrook. I want to watch him play basketball. Just never put him on my team. <laughs> and it, it, it panned out exactly as, as I had feared. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's been miserable. You know, talking about your, your points about culture and all this stuff. Um, it's not to say that a better culture would have made the Russell Westbrook situation more tenable. But maybe that situation never comes about if, if the organizational culture was stronger. Because... Is it even possible to build a culture on a LeBron team? Like he is the he is the culture, just uh, by, by virtue of like all the power dynamics. Like it, it's kind of here's hey, a, correct me if I'm wrong here. Like it's it's kind of like how much work does he want to put into it? Uh, so I think here's here's what I'll say. I'll say that there's validity to that, especially looking at his track record in terms of um, how it's always like these one year cycles with LeBron. But I do think that that's letting the Lakers off the hook. I think that's letting Rob Palinka and Kurt Rambis and the brain trust off the hook because at some point, LeBron James with the Lakers has been signing longer term deals than he did in Cleveland at the end of his tenure. So the opportunity has been there for them to build more of a partnership rather than like, I don't understand what Rob Palinka's basketball philosophy is outside of star acquisition and star appeasement, right? So it's like, okay, we get LeBron. We got that. Just now we'll like do whatever agent. Yeah, I was about to say. Exactly. So it's almost like he's an agent. Exactly. Who, who shouldn't be a GM. Agents shouldn't be GMs. Bob Myers, who is special because he hated being an agent. You don't want an agent who is highly comfortable being an agent. That's right. To be the GM of your team. That's right. And, and so, that is, so that's where I would say, hey, the Lakers definitely had an opportunity to do that. There is some reporting of some culture kind of clash going on between the clutch side and the Lakers side where the Lakers want to go towards, obviously, you know, the, the whole backdrop of this summer and the aftermath of what hap what's happening in Brooklyn is the fact that the Kyrie rumors to LA are, you know, very loud at this point. But now there's reports that, hey, the Lakers might want to be going towards like maybe looking at the Indiana package of Miles Turner and uh, Buddy Heald versus Kyrie because the Buddy Heald path is more stable. Kyrie is obviously more volatile. But these kinds of situations arise when you don't have anything. And all of a sudden now, you're trying to impose your culture when LeBron is up for an extension. So you're doing it at the worst possible time. And that mismatch, the hard part of building a culture, and this is what the Nets are learning, is when things are going well and things are going bad, you got to have some consistency. Like you guys were losing your mind 
last year with the Warriors, but they wanted to establish some sort of consistency with how they coached and how they managed the team, uh, despite the fact that, you know, that team was not going to be, you know, a, a contender as the Warriors have come to, you know, expect. I'm going to defend Clutch and LeBron. Uh, I, I think Ooh. that... But, I like it. But for them having some sort of presence and some sort of continuity, the Lakers might, I mean, they would be in a worse spot maybe beyond just lacking LeBron uh, because they are such a shit show. Such a shit show. It is incredible how many cooks are in that kitchen right yep. now. Jeannie Buss, I don't think, really knows what she's doing. I think the media is soft on her for a variety of reasons, including that she's quite talkative with a lot of reporters. And we do, we do you know, reward the people who are nice to us. It, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but when you look at who is consulting on the basketball decisions, I could start naming people and I'm probably, I'm probably going to leave out like 10 people. Um, we are talking, uh, let's, let's go down the list of it. Linda Rambis is probably the most powerful person in the Laker organization. Let's start there. Uh, Kurt Rambis is also quite powerful and has a voice. They're a power couple uh, who, they aren't regarded as basketball geniuses, but they are quite influential Bring back the triangle. In the Laker organization, she has started to strike up conversations with Phil Jackson, as has been reported. And she's saying, oh, what's the big deal? You know, I talked to him about things. She's saying the same thing about Magic Johnson, who was theoretically running the Lakers and quit. Now he's a voice in what's happening. And she's saying again, oh, what's the big deal? You know, just crowdsourcing player personnel. Like (laughs) Domin might have some input on this, honestly. (laughs) There's there's Lon Rosen, uh, who's this uh, longtime consigliere to, uh, to that crew. Uh, there's uh, Tim Tim Harris the on the business side. He runs things. Former goalkeeper who uh, once dated Jeannie Buss, who is involved in the decision making. Um, I'm probably leaving out a bunch of people, and I'm not even talking about Clutch and LeBron, who are have an active hand in running things. This is not typical, and it is not wise. And it's what happens when you have a power vacuum at the top. You you have a an absence of direction. And be a situation that is like Game of Thrones where people are knifing each other for influence. Juxtapose that to the Warriors. Um, because, like, look, obviously both of Lacob's sons work for the organization. Um, but it's relatively stable. Like, so, you know, one example of family business versus another. So Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, uh, without revealing too much of, of things, Kirk Lacob happened to be on my flight. <laughs> my uh, Man of the people, Southwest flight. Uh, into here, into Vegas. Oh, they're, and, cut, they're really cutting costs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's bad times. <laughs> the revenue with the Warriors. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they probably did operate on uh, a significant loss the past few years. But um, he is aware of all the succession memes uh, regarding the Lakeup family that has been posted by his Fendiari. My crack reporting <laughs> revealed that. Um, so that's one little... That's one little nugget. Um, I, I don't even know where I was going with that. But yeah, you've got Lakeup who gives a shit and has a strong presence and is probably half insane, as we've been noting. But you need somebody who really gives a shit and who's really invested and cares about the outcome and isn't just crowdsourcing everything with total indecision. Uh, that, is, that is a necessity, I think, for long-term success. And if you have somebody up there who's wishy-washy, uh, who likes maybe being in the scene of things, but isn't totally invested in the running of things. You get what you get with the Lakers, and the Lakers are going to have a high floor because somebody will always want to sign there. Um, but that's, I think that's why they're a mess. I, I, so, and I, I think I agree with basically everything you said. And I actually do agree about Clutch and LeBron, where my pessimism about the organization and the way it's run 
actually the presence of clutch is comforting because I at least know some power there's, players. There's a with, baseline. Yeah, there's yeah. like some somebody with juice, somebody who's going to be able. This whole Kyrie Irving situation is happening because of LeBron James's and his and his relationship yeah. with Kyrie and all this thing. It's, it's not happening without that. So yeah, no, I I totally it's agree. It's not current Linda. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I, I I it's it's. It's it's like it's depressing, but like the best case scenario for the Lakers might be an even deeper clutch Lakers partnership. But yeah, yeah, I, I, that's that's my thought on it, and it's not ideal. It's not ideal to have an agency effectively run your team. Yeah. There are downsides to it. The Mavericks went through that when they were, you know, really in tight uh, with uh, on, with Dan Fagan. Like Dan Fagan yeah. effectively ran the Mavericks for a while, and I don't think it was for the better. Um, Aren't the Knicks that way with CAA? Yeah, yeah. It became a, I think it became a bit of a trend for a variety of reasons, but principally because the Lakers won a fraudulent bubble championship. Just oh, kidding. How dare you. A real bubble championship. You. A real bubble championship. You know what? <laughs> I got to say something about this. AAU tournament. Everybody, go back and listen to the podcast leading up to that bubble. Literally everybody, until it was clear the Lakers were going to win it. Everybody was like, oh, this is going to count for like two titles. It's the hardest championship ever. Go, go I do yourselves. not remember Everybody. a single person saying that. <laughs> I, I, will, I will provide evidence. No, but you know, I, I think, um, I, I think, this, I think everyone I think James was just Jones, excited to see basketball. I think James Jones just walked by. Yeah. And I, I had this urge to just pull him in here and just put the screws in him. Was the bubble championship real? <laughs> we need an objective take on this. Also, let's talk to so, DeAndre. Uh, by the way, by the way, I, I, I want to I jump back on this because I do think it's interesting about ownership and ownership role in these things. I think the biggest misnomer or kind of trope that's come about, maybe it's died down a little bit, is that fan bases would claim that they don't want active ownership, right? Mm -hmm. they, they want owners to kind of step out. I actually think that there is an element of truth to that where you don't want an owner being way too hands-on. You know, I think the Kings are a good example of this where th that's not good. This is a perfect, this is a perfect <laughs> kind yeah, of bring on Kirk Henderson <laughs> with Mavs Moneyball to, <laughs> yeah, to kind yeah. of discuss that the owner's role. That, that is so true. Mark Cuban's the other end of the spectrum where it's too much, bro. Back off. <laughs> exactly, right? And so, so I do think that an owner, it's a hard job because I think what an owner's job is, is to set the culture, maintain the culture, make sure things are kind of going. And intervening at the right times. And, and I think that is ultimately what the role of ownership is. Not completely hands-off. Because James Dolan with the Knicks has been completely hands-off. He hires people at the top. He spends money on the team. He spends money on those people he hires. He makes the wrong decisions and backs off and just lets the team yeah. run like that. And so hands-off ownership on itself is not also a good thing. I'd say Jeannie has elements of that too where she puts the people in charge and says, okay, well, that's their job. And, and you know, yeah. and, and, they and, and Cuban has an element of that from what I've heard where he doesn't want to get dirty and he doesn't want to have the hard conversations and all the decisions flow from him. And he's the most, he, his fingerprints are on everything, but I don't think he's one to own the downsides. And I do think uh, there's an element of being almost too involved and also uninvolved when you need to be involved somehow, which I think with the Mavericks has made them a bit of a shit show. Um, I, we're, we're, we're trying to see if we can get Kirk sure. too. Oh, I'm here. I just, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for just looking despondent. Ownership for, for me has always been a less is more situation. It's like when Jeannie Buss decided to tweet her cryptic, like nonsense, unreality based tweet about how I wish Kobe was here. To, he's the best Laker and the best teammate in human history. 
that has impact because it's not like she's out there all the time saying stuff. She might be talking to reporters every now and again. Whereas the Mavericks owner was liking tweets about him, uh, where people were wishing he would, you know, go away. Uh, sending direct messages to people basically questioning their takes. And it's like, is this how you want to spend your time as the owner of a basketball team? Yeah. I Depression mean, he, posting. Yeah. For both of them. He came on my show and I, well, I was giving him a little bit of grief. And he was like, if you, if you were, if you were me, wouldn't you do this? And the answer is absolutely, but I'm not you. So <laughs> let's, you know, it, it, I shouldn't be the example for ownership. We're, we're <laughs> foreshadowing a Kevin Durant ownership uh, <laughs> moving forward. Ooh. Well, I mean, that's, that's where this all gets like very interesting with, you know, between players and owners and coaches where it's, you know, Ethan talked about this earlier. I, I think there's a little bit of misunderstanding as why most people watch sports. You watch it to be invested. You don't watch it to be lectured about various things that sometimes the oversaturation of content re results in. But yeah, I'm just here. I was listening. Well, I was okay. enjoying the conversation. I, would, I have a theory. I, mean, I want to jump in with a theory okay. about why some of that lecturing happened. Um, I think some of it's related to how news breaking became the number one agenda for some of these organizations uh, in media, ESPN principally. We need to break the news story first. We need to put it out a few seconds earlier on Twitter. He's going to put a hit the, on you. The, <laughs> yeah, just, careful, brother. I just saw him. It was very funny. It was a very funny interaction. But anyway, um, that became the mandate. So what is the downstream effect of that? The downstream effect of that is that you need agents to feed you the story first. Well, how do you get agents to do that? You do it through doing their bidding. Pretty soon, you're talking like you are uh, an agent puppet. Like they are just moving, moving your mouth when they want to say something and put something out there. An agent's perspective is nothing like a fan's perspective. No. In many ways, it is completely the opposite. And pretty soon, you're watching TV, you're watching ESPN, and people are lecturing you from the player perspective as though that's the perspective you have of, well, you should be totally cool with this player giving up on this team in this situation and mandating that he is traded to a better situation. Don't you understand that this is what's good for the player? Don't you get it? That's an agent talking. Nobody out there has ever watched some sort of smarmy agent uh, in front of the microphones in a holdout, a Scott Boris situation, and pointed to the TV and so went, what's the guy that's in the NFL? My, Drew that's Rosenhaus what, oh, back Drew, in the day. Yeah, Drew Rosenhaus. That, that's the name he, I was By the way, the all-time press conference was when, when uh, T.O. was doing sit-ups in yeah. his driveway while like Drew Rosenhaus is fielding questions. <laughs> we need to bring that type of content back. Yeah, that was fantastic. And nobody was pointing to the TV and going, that's my guy right there. <laughs> that's the guy who's speaking to me. So I think that's one of the reasons why the lecturing happened is that there became a need to get the story out first. And the only way to get the story out first was to sound like a lackey for the most powerful players. Yeah, I mean, you know where I stand on this. In general, sports is a way for like communities to connect with each other. Kind of hard to connect if the players just are defiantly not even pretending to be part of said community. You know, it's like... Look, what is it Katie loves to say? Like, there's no loyalty in that. It's like, I, I get it. It's, it's a business for you, but at least fake it. At yeah. least fake it with the public a little bit because, like, people are paying a lot of money and spending a lot of their time to watch this thing. Yeah, give us our noble lie, you know? Exactly. Give us our noble lie, and it will work out for you. I, we I need mean, a little bit of it. That, that, that Katie mentality and that Katie viewpoint is why he's uniquely amongst, like, the top 10 players, top 12 players of all time going to retire without a dedicated fan base or a group of fans that swear by him 
that, you know, you, you look at where he's been when he went to OKC, that was Russ's team that took his Russ's persona and the way KD left versus the way Russ stayed. Well, that's Russ. Russ will always have a home at Oklahoma City. Um, and then obviously with the Warriors, you you and Andy chased him out because that was Steph, <laughs> Steph's yeah. team and Draymond's team. Um, by the way, you know, we unspoken, ended up on the right side of history. Th- th- there's yeah. obviously some unspoken tension between Andy and Sam. You know, Andy's not here. Yeah. Of all places, <laughs> Andy's not showing up to Vegas and nobody's talking about this. Yeah. Major red flag. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we need to know. find out what's going on with Andy. Sources yeah. say. Sources yeah. say. What yeah. is going on? Well, that's with the Andy. thing. Before I used to say that I didn't chase Katie out of Golden State, and that's a ridiculous thing to think. Should I now well, start that's claiming why you credit? always wear the Andy Lou Ruin the dynasty <laughs> shirt? You're trying to deflect. Hey, it wasn't me. It was this guy. Yes, that's exactly what I've been doing. I've been trying to place the blame onto Andy. But now I'm wondering, should I reposition myself, given how things have worked out, and say, you're welcome. Um, I, I did this for the greater good. <laughs> yes, I knew how it was. I was uh, varies in Game of Thrones. It was what was good for the realm, folks. I took on the responsibility. <laughs> you're welcome. It was all me. I made it unmanageable as a situation for Hey, me. man. Grow up. <laughs> grow up. <laughs> oh, my God. That guy. I mean... Hey, I, in many ways, I miss his presence. I miss his presence in the Bay. It was it was never a boring day uh, when it came to covering the Warriors back then. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's let's get off some summer league takes before we get out of here. Um, do you put any stock into players who are in the NBA, like Jonathan Kuminga, just looking terrible in summer? Does it mean anything to you? Or are you just assuming, yeah, he came to Vegas to party? My summer league <laughs> rule is that it can raise red flags, but it can't sell you. That's my summer league rule from a decade of summer leaguing is that sometimes guys look awesome and it means nothing, but it is concerning. Shout out Marco Bellinelli. Yeah, yeah. Shout out Marco Bellinelli. Uh, but it is concerning when a guy um, when a guy is underperforming. Now, second year, I almost feel like is is less meaningful because there's just less reason for a guy to have investment. I remember uh, Draymond was, I think it was his second summer league when he was shooting horribly. And it was my first run-in with him because I think I was tweeting about it. He got really mad at me, and uh, Raymond Ritter had to broker a conversation between us in that locker room, uh, the the UNLV locker room, and it didn't mean anything ultimately. Um, I mean, it meant that he wasn't going to turn into Clay Thompson. But wait, 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 wait a minute. Are you telling me Draymond was a poor shooter and had run-ins with you, and that wasn't <laughs> indicative of his career? <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't prevent him from becoming a Hall of Famer. That is, is true. Is, is what I would say about it. And um, 
but yeah, I mean, that's the general rule. I'm more concerned with a rookie underperforming, but I think that it's it's more a place for red flags than, oh my God, this guy's going to be the next superstar. Because yeah, some guys have looked great. Dante Axum, that's another guy. I'm, I disagree with you because I'm currently ready to declare Moses Moody the best player in the draft. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, if, if, if the Warriors just hadn't come off a finals run where Kaminga uh-huh. got spot minutes, sure. it might be more, more irritating. Right. But he looked really good as he slowly, like that game where uh, it was both Kaminga and Moody beat them at like it was at right. home Mavericks won the game but they looked outstanding in those bursts so there's something to build off there summer league second year stuff if you're not if you don't have anything to fall back on right that's kind of the real thing but it, it, those two do I mean Moody's, summer league for a second year guy who maybe didn't play at all mm-hmm. then yeah. you're a little worried you're like yeah he didn't play in the regular season and he still doesn't look good and that's clearly not the case like I would say Kuminga's rookie year was well above what my expectations were particularly since he like played like 25 minutes a game I, I also for think, half the year. I also think those guys show up to these, these arenas and the vibe in summer league is really high energy. Right. And if you're not like there for that, it's, it, it almost feels worse. Right. So. Yeah. Awkward pause. I, I opened my mouth like I was going to say something and I didn't. I kind of screwed everybody up. I mean, I, I did like a fake hard cut. Sharp! I'll, I'll jump in. Yes. I think Kaminga sucks. Yes. 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 Slowly wow. accepting it. The takesman it. has arrived. So, oh, I, can't I can't tell if you're serious on this or not. I'm completely serious. I, you're the, out on him? There were two weeks around Christmas when the entire basketball media convinced themselves that Kaminga was go- like the next Kawhi sitting there on Golden State's roster. And it's like, I didn't see it then. I definitely well, don't see I, I it hate now. The, I hate the Kawhi thing because it's like, so he's just going to have a randomly develop a handle in one of the best jump shots out of the blue. Like, right. The Kawhi's evolution was completely unprecedented. We've yeah. seen nothing like it since. And Kaminga, he's fine. But like the idea that he's ever going to be an all-star is um, not convincing to me. I think and, he's and bad. you look at the I think like, he's Mavs than, series, like, I, I mean, mean, who I mean, did the Mavs have? Like, cool that he could play in that one series. One of one but, athletes, though, are yeah. not to be overlooked. That dude Fair. is, is he is top like, ten athletes in the yes. league? I mean, yes. maybe, yes. maybe top five. Yeah, but I just—I mean, do you trust his jumper? No, I actually don't think it's that bad. It's like the progress that was made from the beginning to the end of the season gives me hope. He literally yeah. was shooting it across his face, <laughs> and then by like mid-season, it looked like a normal NBA jumper, which is is growth. He's well, going to be. Do said, I think he's going to be Clay Thompson? No. Yeah. Here's here's how I would put it. So with Kaminga. I, I can see the like ceiling that has people intoxicated, but if I were the Warriors, I would work very hard to sell high on him sometime mm. within the next 12 months because he he has that upside that might allow you to trick someone into trading something real for him. Mm. And Wiseman is the same deal. Like trade that dude as soon as you possibly can. Um, but Someone like Moody is not going to bring you back a star, but does feel like a really safe bet. He just to screams be, a Warriors like, player. Like super yeah. helpful throughout the tail end of Steph's prime. And so, I mean, I would just be a lot more excited about Moody's future than Kaminga's. Because it seems like they've deemed Kaminga untouchable, which is kind of wild to me. I think this is leading up to the natural conclusion of bring KD back. Oh yes. yeah, <laughs> we got the trade package. I was, I was talking to somebody with the Warriors, uh, and they were saying, "Why not us?" You well, know, that's, kind of playfully, playfully. I don't want to get aggregated. Playfully, 
it has cracked me up when people are like, well, Golden State actually has the best package. I'm like, have you looked at Golden State's assets? Like, <laughs> you're, you're telling me, like, if Sean Marks brings back James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, and Moses Moody as, like, the jewels of a KD trade, and even Jordan Poole, like, I mean, that would be really, really depressing. All, all I want is for that to happen, and Bob Myers at the press conference saying, without any irony, we just, we really think that Kevin Durant can be our Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> I need this. Full circle from the parade, man. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something different. Like Bob says, I faked my crying in 2019. <laughs> we forced him to play on the torn Achilles. Would it, would it not be like the ultimate power move for the Lakers though, to bring, late, to yeah. bring KD back? Just kind of like, you left, you, you made a mistake. Like oh, that type of yeah, thing. like, like, like when Mr. Burns does it has torment Homer? the other 29 teams, obviously. <laughs> but like if you're just thinking of it from their like destroy the world perspective, yeah. it's the ultimate power move. Yeah, Wiggins' like, development was a heat check. This would be like a generational heat check for them to do that. Yeah, and just have everything happen again. Everybody would know. It would be like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind where we know exactly how the relationship is going to break apart. And god damn it. We're going to do it again because that's living. That's life. <laughs> Bringing KD back is life, and we need to do it, even though we know it can only end one way, and that way is not good. Oh, a true nightmare for everyone involved. I, literally, <laughs> I think even Warriors fans are like, yeah, you know what? Everyone was right. This last title was a lot more fun. <laughs> and now we can admit it. Sharp, yeah. this was the biggest frustration I had the whole time, and these light years liars oh my God. kept telling us that no Sam, I rings are rings, blah, blah, blah. No nonsense. You guys all felt this one differently. Deep down, they knew the yeah. entire time that their lies about how all these titles count oh. the same and everybody's just jealous of us oh. if they hate on us. It was great coping um, as a placeholder until you could finally admit what was the reality. Yeah. And then, <laughs> I mean, it, it was... I don't know what you guys are talking about. It was, <laughs> boy, it was amazing to watch that unfold. And it was so true. It wasn't very fun. Can we say they were not the most fun of teams? Maybe Expect the greatest the last, team ever. The last year plus was just constantly draining. Like, yeah. It was like, oh, I got to watch this tonight. Let's see. Well, and Let's look, see if they talk to each other on the bench at all. Uh, <laughs> well, they, won by, they won by 40, and Kevin's going to saunter in with his White Sox hat and give uh, pissy responses because he hates it here. But he's not going to compliment any of his team. I don't think he complimented a single teammate. Somebody will go back in the archives and find, you know, a, a good, you know, that was a good uh, Quinn Cook jump shot or something. <laughs> but it was just, it was part of it was just, he was so miserable. It's but, not just that though. We can take it back to this podcast's raison d'etre where it's <laughs> like Steph Curry is the coolest player of this generation. Yeah. Um, and is magnetic even among athletes in every sport. Like he's just one of the greatest athletes any of us will ever see. And for those three seasons, he was there three years, right? Yeah he was just a lot less interesting. And yeah. KD showed up and the whole story became predictable and frustrating and it sucked for fans of the game. The story of can Steph do it and overcome the haters was an interesting story. And after the failure of the 2016 finals, it would have been so interesting. It, <laughs> but it would have been so interesting to see him LeBron, LeBron clutch called Kiki. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it would have been it would have been interesting to see if he could overcome all of that. And we finally saw it. And we wanted that suspense and tension of him going into Boston for that game four. 
Um, and you were robbed of that when KD was there because maybe it's somebody else's fault if they fail. And ultimately, they're not going to fail unless uh, too big Kevin, to fail. Yeah, too big to fail unless Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson suffer season-ending injuries. They're, they're not going to. I mean, look, I could have surveyed everybody in that Raptors arena during that first quarter of Game Five when KD returned and the Warriors were just pumping shots into the just just three-pointer after three-pointer like it was Papa shot. Every uh, Canadian fan in the building, I would have said, okay, uh, what, what do you think is going to happen? You know, I think, what was it? Was it a 3-1 situation in that game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would have said, Warriors are winning the finals. Yeah. Like, they would have. <laughs> but they were uniquely self-hating people, so maybe that's not fair. <laughs> yeah, they had zero confidence. I, I literally went, I, I, I took a restroom break before KD got hurt, and the fans were talking to one another. It's like, well, boys, it was a good run. <laughs> hey, it was, uh, you know, it's, uh, we never win it. And uh, we, we, we got pretty close, huh? Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, yeah, fucking right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I no. just love that, that we've made two, like, momentous breakthroughs on this show. Yeah. First of all, the Light Years podcast finally admits that the KD era sucked in yes. Golden State and that those titles meant nothing. That absolutely was not said on the show. <laughs> um, it's uh, groundbreaking. And then also, <laughs> Dumbin, you sit there and say, actually, I think the Lakers need to get in even deeper with Clutch and LeBron. <laughs> right? This is the town to think like that, what by the way. What stage of Stockholm Syndrome we're in here? It's been a but, wild 12 months. By the Brother, way, we are down I bad. I, I down bad. I, I should have made my Dumbin book. Dumbin saying we need Tristan Thompson I, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have made the title of my book uh, on the Katie Warriors and the fall of them. Uh, those titles meant nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. We, we, uh, we, I'll so buy an extra copy. That would have been so provocative. That would have been so provocative, a title. A waste of everyone's time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my we God. We can like greatness, but what we really want in sports is to see greatness tested and pushed yes. to the brink. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That Steph Curry game in Boston is going to be the single game I remember him from, despite the fact that he had obviously great games in the finals and great games in playoffs. Well, and it's funny because with KD's potential next team, um, he could end up in Phoenix or he could end up like, I threw out the Clippers as a possibility if they flip Paul George. KD for AD? Well, <laughs> but any of those, he'll be accused of bandwagoning, but it won't be the same thing because if KD wins a title in Phoenix, he's going to have to be great the entire time to make it work. And in Golden State, that just wasn't the case. And yeah. so it's like a totally different category. Uh, but I, at this point now, I think I'm canceled from ever appearing on the Light Years podcast <laughs> again. So I'm, I'm very to excited to see the uh, the mentions after people listen. Oh, boy. Hashtag where's Andy? <laughs> Expectations are the thief of joy. That has been my mantra for the off season as I've had everything taken from me. Mm. Um, so I, I, I the, the warrior stuff, it's sad. It, it's not like sad in hindsight, but it's just, it went from being a very fun era to being a very boring era. But, and, but then it but bounced it's, back but Let me year. give a warriors, yeah. a, a pro warriors perspective. It burnished the jewelry collection. Now, when you're talking about Steph Curry's accomplishments, you get to bring up the rings and the banners hang forever. So it was almost validated by the real title. <laughs> exactly. The real title this year changes the way we'll remember the All titles that them. Steph had cool with KD. And it's a, a pretty big deal. He's going to go down like top six, top seven all time, probably. Yeah. Huge, huge swing for his career and how he's considered. And um, yeah, having the previous titles helps the resume when you're talking about it. So ultimately, it worked out for the Warriors fans. Um, 
even if they were lying to themselves and doing a ton of coping. See, they said that, what they needed to say. You know, you, you talk about Stockholm missing. Syndrome. They said what they needed to say during that period of time. And now they can be real about it. I'll, I'll end it on that, even though I, I disagree with both of you. Well, we'll, we'll see. Well, and look, you'll come back early next week with a review of James Wiseman's debut after 15 months. <laughs> Some big things ahead this summer. The future. All right, I appreciate you guys. Big Jim. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.